This is Subjects in Process, a podcast where we explore the limits of our knowledge, try to understand the things we take for granted, and work to see things from new points of view. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jonathan. Okay, so uh, not such a long break now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more of a break for you, less of a break for us. And time uh, has we- no meaning. <laughs> and so now we're going to be uh, talking a bit about an Alan Jacobs article, specifically because it uh, did a lot to kind of change my uh, focus of my thoughts and maybe provide a third way between the dilemma I expected to be torn between mm-hmm. in terms of how we approach technology. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jeff, do you think it would be worth kind of talking through the Alan Alan Jacobs article in detail? That would that would kind of give us uh, a large that would take a certain chunk of the episode alternatively. And and because if we did that, I would spend a certain amount of time talking about where I disagree with him as well, probably. Right. But alternatively, we could just kind of jump to what for me were kind of the transformative elements of it. I think I think it might be better to just let, let's not worry about doing the full uh, description. I'll put the article link, which is doesn't have a it's not behind a paywall anymore okay. in the show notes. And I can give a really brief summary of some of the background to it, if that would be helpful. That sounds great. Okay. So we we did talk briefly about this article in the last episode. Um, it's called uh, From Tech Critique to Ways of Living. Um, and it appeared in the, I think, winter issue of uh, The New Atlantis, um, which is a awesome online journal uh, that uh, I subscribe to. Um, and Alan Jacobs is a, he's an English professor who teaches in the honors school, honors program in uh at Baylor University in Texas. Um, he's written all sorts of books. Uh, he wrote a biography of C.S. Lewis and he's his focus is kind of on W.H. Auden. That's sort of his one of his main focuses. Um, mm-hmm. But he also blogs. Um, he's blogging would be kind of one of his other main uh, ways of sort of communicating with people and sort of getting his ideas out there. Um, he also wrote, and I mentioned the C.S. Lewis book, but the kind of the trilogy that he's sort of most known for is uh, starts with uh, the pleasures of reading in an age of distraction. Uh, and then the second volume is uh, how to think. So it's a book all about how to think. That's where I first heard about Rappaport's rules. Mm, um, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe it was from you, but then I also heard about it from him. Um, and then the third book that just came out last year was breaking bread with the dead, um, which is sort of on the value of reading old books and, and the value of just, extending our temporal bandwidth, which is something we've also talked about in other episodes. Um, so I love Alan Jacobs. I subscribe to his newsletter. Um, I read his blog very regularly um, and I'll put it all in the show notes so that you can too. Um, but so this, uh, so the thing about Alan Jacobs is that he, in addition to this sort of English stuff and kind of cultural stuff, he, he has a real interest in uh, technology. Um, he had a blog at the New Atlantis for a long time called Text text patterns, I think it was called. And it was 
focused on a lot of like the questions surrounding technology and what does it mean and what does it mean to own your own land or like your own space uh, in a technological world, right? Like in a world mm -hmm. where, you know, Yahoo can shut you down anytime you want, it wants, you know, or whatever it might be. And, and so he has often talked about some of these critics that we talked about in the previous episode, right? Like he's talked about Neil Postman and Jacques Ellul. And what he, the, the subtitle to this article um, is Neil Postman was right, so what? Uh, and it basically starts by saying, we've got this basic argument um, for- Can I, can, can I just- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, just to jump into, just as a reminder. So Neil Postman is the guy who in the nineties wrote something like entertaining ourselves to death. Amusing ourselves to death. Amusing he wrote, he wrote a, death, yeah. a book called Technopoly that was also really significant and another book called The Disappearance of Childhood. Um, okay. He's kind of like a popular thinker. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really matter because all of these guys, you can kind of lump them under critics of technology. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are dead. Uh, yeah. Albert Borgman is not dead. Um, yes. You know, and there are some new guys, I think, new, new folks on the on the scene these days. But just to say, yeah, so when you say Neil Postman was right, so what? That kind of- uh, Right, yeah. yeah. So, so what he means by that is really that the standard critique of technology, um, which was produced by these people, produced by Ma Marshall McLuhan also was a, a significant figure, right? He was a mm. Edmontonian as well, um, originally, at least born here. Um, you know, all of these folks have this critique of technology um, this idea, I think we called it in the last episode, the substantive view of technology, that technology is sort of an increasingly pervasive force in society that does not really have a lot of things standing in opposition to it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so there's lots of theories that has, have kind of emerged around that critique in terms of like this is di diagnoses um, and some prescriptions. And he says, the standard critique of technology is cogent and correct. Um, I have referred to it many times and applied it to many different situations. Um, but the number of people who are even opening to following uh, the logic of like, okay, if this is true, then we should do something about it is vanishingly small. Uh, and so he really says, okay, if they're right, but what they're saying we should be doing in response is not actually working, is there some other kind of alternative? Is there some other op opportunity for, for responding? And I think that that kind of gets to in a different direction, but it, it gets to something that you ended up our last episode with um, talking about, okay, we, we, we do maybe think that technology has some really significantly negative things that needs to be responded to. We talked about addiction um, and about the ways that it's sort of shaping our brains and things like that. But, if the two options are really just let's just see what happens or uh you know let's get the government to come in and tell us what we need to believe in um those are not really satisfying uh answers and uh and i think that led you to a kind of place as well yes yeah totally and <clears throat> so uh just to give like a few kind of points that he he mentions through the article <clears throat> One of the things he says is he talks about how uh, we are reshaped in technology's image. That's part of this standard critique. And 
and I might come back to that because that's actually a place that I think uh, actually it's technology has to latch on to things that are in us. And so as soon as we start thinking about these sort of like radical transformations and not looking at the details of how it happens and how it connects to the kinds of beings that we already were, uh, I think that that um, it will be important. And but regardless, yeah, I think he's got some some ideas about that. And the in the standard critique, they also talk about that instead we should be thinking about how technology can serve our ends in ways that enrich us. And there's different names for this. The one I liked was like convivial technologies. Right, Ivan, and this, that's Ivan Illich. That's right, yes. I have that written down, but you just knew that. Uh, these would, and, and these kinds of technologies are ones that would fit within the human life world uh, and enhance our relations with one another. Uh, I, I always like, there's a, a term, I think it is actually from Alan Borgman. He talks a lot, not a term, he talks a lot about the hearth as yeah. a kind of tool that was very convivial, centering, uh, and it brought people around it, right? It gave us warmth, it gave us cooked food, right? Mm -hmm. And it brought us together. And mm -hmm. I still really kind of like that as an example of what what that does. Yeah. what convivial technology might look like. Uh, and then in just a little bit, he says, so when he's talking about why has this standard critique had no effect, he mentions one that, you know, it's this academic source material, mostly written in books that people don't have time for. Right. Uh, which is then connected to his next point in which he says humans are lazy um, or aim to conserve energy, I thought was another way of kind of saying it. And he actually, he goes so far as to say, he has a line in it where he says, I'm depressing myself, uh, but my rational faculties tell me that useful thinking depends on an accurate assessment of the circumstances. Mm. And so this is something where I guess to, to get to where I was going or where, where I am now, uh, I did kind of face what for me felt like a pretty a pretty dark spot. I'm not entirely sure if I've thought my way out of it or if I've just <laughs> found something that's worth moving on to pay attention to. And it reminds me again of this, like the measure of a person is how much truth they can handle, which is a, mm. a, a Nietzsche quote. Mm. Um, okay. And... Um, so the next thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in there is he talks quite a bit about um, this, this wheelwright. There's a book about the, the wheelwright's um, Apprentice, shop. Is it? The shop, workshop. wheelwright's yeah. shop, yeah. The wheelwright's shop. And this apparently was a very influential book. It's, uh, from what I understand, literally like a manual by a wheelwright on how to manage a shop. And for many of these kind of like big thinkers, including Heidegger, this was uh, a, a really significant source material on what life was like hmm. for when we were dealing with tools and not modern technology. <clears throat> 
And in this shop, one of the things he talks about is how the wheelwright knows the wood that he's working with and he knows the trees that it comes from. And there's actually very few trees of sufficient quality to be able to make wooden wheels. I assume that's what a wheelwright does. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I guess. <laughs> and so, um, and so he comes not only to value his own shop, but to value and care for the uh, for the forest, right? right? And and he 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 takes care of and values the whole forest as um, as this thing that produces these these the trees that he needs for his very kind of in depth craft, right? And the whole kind book of is, understands himself as embedded, yes, as, as exactly uh, c contextualized in some way, yes. And so this uh, and and this embeddedness, this the, the the reason why the context is so significant for him is because it matters to uh, to what his whole daily life, right? It is um, it's all relevant and important and indeed, for him inherently valuable. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> this is then contrasted with modern society where everything is uh, viewed as standing reserve, right? And I, I'm not, I know I've heard you talk about that before. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or not. Right. But the notion of standing reserve is just, you know, resources waiting in the wings, yeah. resources to be used, right? Yeah. And natural and human. <laughs> yeah, yes. And so uh, the, the resources is they're all means to whatever ends we are trying to acquire, right? So yeah. no longer is the forest seen as something inherently good to be taken care of it's seen as something that's like ready and available for use and i i totally see how those are very different ways of living your life but i thought for me it felt important to kind of recognize the common threads between them that actually kind of helped I feel like, again, kind of helped me. It's a very pessimistic potential view in kind of recognizing even for that wheelwright, the instrumentality of that forest, right? Right. And that understanding that, I think if we're going to be tackling this problem that we feel like we are facing with technology to really understand it, right? Yeah. And what what is the difference in in the way of living uh because the vague notion of technology does it is um doesn't seem sufficient right it's just this it's almost a um, metaphorical metaphysical insubstantial mm. and so the the idea that maybe in many ways our actions were always instrumental and in the past uh, the the purpose may have been almost more clear in that they were essential to our survival, right? And um, and so it maybe felt different 
but was utilitarian. And when I say feels different, I'm not meaning to dismiss it. Uh, in fact, maybe that's worth kind of highlighting as the central point of what it means to live well is how does the world feel to you, right? Right. Um, that experience of it. So admittedly experiencing it very differently, but... Uh, I mean, like, I think there are... There are different, like instrumentality, right? Can just mean mm -hmm. I'm using it as an instrument, like I'm using it to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And there's instrumentality, like capital I instrumentality, where mm -hmm. I see things as objects for my use. I've taken myself out of the, uh, you know, circle of life, or I've taken myself out of the to, to understand yourself as embedded means that you too are embedded and you too have some kind of instrumental purpose to fulfill versus a world of standing reserve. That's a world where the subject steps out of it and right. sees, so sees everything around it as, as an object to be used. But it, it's, it's, I think the difference, it, it is probably has something to do with feeling, but I think it also has something to do with what it means to be a creature Right. Um, right. Well, or a different, uh, I mean, I think that they're like both, both us and people in the past were creatures, right? Right. But we, one of us acted like them and then the other one acts as if we're, uh, what was the, how did we get on that topic about, um, your, you too can be a God. Oh, that was in the previous episode yes, about design, uh, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's the difference between, like the wheelwright who sees these things as, yeah, this forest, I'm going to care about the forest partly because mm -hmm. it affects me if it mm -hmm. survives. But mm -hmm. I also start to care about the forest because I'm caring about it. Right. Like, yeah. Versus the, I mean, and I, and I know that not everybody's like this, but like kind of stereotypical perspective on modern approaches to resource usage right? How can I yep. perpetuate my ability to use this resource? So I'm mm -hmm. going to do a bunch of tree planting, which actually yep. doesn't perpetuate an ecological uh, environment in the way that mm -hmm. it needs to, but it does yep. perpetuate my ability to have uh, wood on hand for right. whatever and, I want to do. And so what what leads to that difference in, I mean, and I, 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 this you can you can choose to answer or not because I have my I have an answer that I think what leads to the difference in the uh, in the kind of orientation to the world orientation specifically let's use that forest as the example orientation to the forest yeah yeah so for me what I think when I think about that it's because for the wheelwright that forest was irreplaceable anything that was irreplaceable for them uh, then became valuable for its own sake versus something that is replaceable um, is, is then becomes like we're less attuned to it. We don't, we don't notice it. We don't value it in the same way. If it's not both instrumental and irreplaceable, it becomes something that's much less relevant to us. And that's, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like that uh, is begging the question a bit in terms of the, the concept of is this thing replaceable or not is seems like a more modern notion 
to me. Right. Well, I and I think like that scarcity that's and that because kind of thing? I agree. But I think that the reason why is because technology has made more things replaceable. So for which for, but, which is to say that with the lack of the absence of technology, though, mm-hmm. you know, and for the wheelwright, I mean, the thing is the wheelwright's shop or whatever is 1923. So we are well into the industrial revolution. But mm-hmm. if we're taking that as the sort of like, this is the pre modern technology kind of approach to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they're seeing it in terms of replaceability, because replaceability is and something that you inherit from a world so, that says anything can be replaced. You, right. So you don't so think I guess, that way in the same way. That, that's not the focus of, of your orientation to the forest. I think the focus is something more like um, this is the thing in front of me. I'm part of a larger, I mean, the part of the story, right? The pre, pre-modern technology is also caught up in uh, the enchantment of the world, right? Right. A world that but, is full of spirits and that but, kind of thing. But I think but I think you'd uh, if you look at a pre-modern society and what they view to be enchanted, you would notice that the uh, whether it was consciously or not, the most uh, difficult to acquire things that contributed would be the most enchanted things. So a culture that lived in the desert, uh, for them, water might be treated as uh, in in a different way than a culture that lives on a river, right, and has ready access to it. Right. Although I, the people who live on the river, they're worshiping the river god, I think. Yeah, I think they would. <laughs> but but at the same time, just the, the orientation to things, I, I think, is going to be there are going to be things that are insignificant to them. And the question is, why are those things insignificant and other things are more significant, right? And the the purpose of this is, I believe, to potentially bring understanding to, like, why does technology take us here? And it's because Mm -hmm. you can knock down a forest and jump on a, jump in a truck and drive to another forest and get another one, right? Right. And, and I think it goes, the, its explanatory power goes further when you, because you mentioned in, the, in their articulation of standing reserve, they talk about how people too become uh, standing reserve resources for a purpose, right? right? And so when I was thinking about, I kind of wished and I, that there was more on what a convivial technology is right and one of the things i thought that might be true of a convivial technology is a tool that makes uh may make new things possible but requires mastery to to uh, yeah uh to manage it to handle it to use yes. it yeah and and the like reason theremin, why for example exactly that's <laughs> the the the, the fundamental example like if you have a friend who knows how to play a theremin he's your best friend yeah. because he's your only access to a theremin that's right and so when <laughs> when someone learns when someone learns to use a tool yeah they it increases their value to their community right they like the person who learns to play the piano it's a difficult skillful thing and suddenly they have something a huge value that they bring because not everyone can do that 
Right. Now compare that or contrast it with technology that just makes a job easier. Hmm. So hmm. with a yeah. job, with a technology that makes a job easier, it makes the human more replaceable. Right. So when the, when the, the forest cutter downer yeah. is, you know, chopping down his trees with the latest T-Rex chainsaw truck. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which, you know, we've all seen Fern Gully. <laughs> exactly. You know, Fern Gully. exactly oh, just yeah. like Fern Gully. And then, but then, and then he has, you know, he has some concerns with how he's being treated with work or concerns with what's being done to the forest. And he advocates, you know, he says to his boss, I'm not sure that I want to do it this way. His boss says, Oh, okay, well you don't have to. And he says, you know, you can leave and he yeah. gets someone else. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and it goes back to that difference too of like the wheelwright goes to the forest or is has a friend who's like the sawyer or whatever the yeah you know and is cutting down these trees it's all the the community the supply chain within is within the community and right. we're moving yes. into a another kind of world where the guy who cuts down the trees yep he has no connection to what those trees become like yep. maybe maybe he's a carpenter Yes, <laughs> but yes. actually, his identity as a carpenter is fully separate from his identity as the guy who cuts down the trees. Right, which is bizarre when you think about it. Like, like, oh yeah, what do you do for fun? Oh well, I'm a I whittle things. It's like, yeah. oh that's cool. Is that because you cut down trees? And it's like, no, actually, it has nothing to do with that because <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy the wood that I cut down. I buy wood from like Brazil. Yeah, know, like... yeah, I, I, yeah, and that. Um... Yeah, that I think that I mean that can go that can go so deep in terms of the transparency and and some of my thoughts that we'll get to, but just yeah. to kind of foreshadow them here, the notion that everything we value in life, we see no connection to the work we do, right? So where with the hearth, you knew the value of the hearth and then came to value your ability to do the work to fuel the hearth, right? Right. So, uh, totally. Uh, I just and, did, I just did a, an outside, uh, visit the other day with my neighbor Yeah. and, uh, and we sat down to do a fire yeah. and I was like, you know, man, I'm like really bad at making fires. <laughs> and so then I just said, like, like you go up to your cottage all the time. How about you? Would you be able to do, do a fire? And he made like an amazing fire in like 10 seconds yes so amazing. if i had a hearth i want him around the hearth exactly me. exactly and like and the guy who has to then cut down the trees and yeah. like everybody in that community knows what they're doing and how it contributes to what's valuable in our lives. as opposed to now where you know i go to work you know and i find the averages and a whole bunch of numbers and then i come home and i love movies right and the idea that my contribution by running those numbers is what makes these movies possible in an infinitely indirect way is actually <laughs> true, right? But it is just doesn't feel true in any right, way. Right. So, yes. Um, so what I think is what I feel like this is, and uh, I'm going to say it kind of succinctly yeah. because I don't need everyone to be as depressed as I was, <laughs> but I feel like we, 
there's this uh, depressing place uh, where I got where I realized what we want from technology, right, is to solve some problem, right? Technology tools, they're all like, in theory, kind of coming at, uh, you know, whether that's to entertain us or whether that's to help us do a task. And so we want technology to make things easier for us. Yeah. Now, uh, right, increase our freedom, decrease our dependence on our environment. Uh, and But then I think I want to kind of highlight that that also means decreasing our dependence or interdependence on other people. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, the when you when everything is easy for you other people are then more replaceable yeah but the interesting thing is so as we drive towards this because because we want that it's the same technology that also makes us replaceable right um and and so it's this like weird uh catch 22 where we want we of course we want tools to help us do things, but the advancement of that in a way is devaluing the the things in our lives. And and again, maybe just thinking about like, you know, what causes the transformation in that experience of the forest, right? And I guess kind of um, the same the idea of just meditating on our embeddedness mm. i just don't think that's ever going to get you to that place you were where you were born into a world where you know you your family taught you specific skills so that you could contribute in exchange for which you know other people helped you and contributed to you and this forest was you know infinitely valuable you know it's not just that they uh, meditated upon the things it was it was driving yep. all the good things in their life His whole idea of, which I always get a little bit kind of uh, awkward about because it, it gets kind of occult fairly quickly, but his idea of the evolution of consciousness, the, the, the least sort of new agey version of it, I think, is just that diff people in different times thought, literally thought differently about the world and experienced the world in ways that are now kind of cut off from us. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that experience of being embedded in this world, yeah. right, is not a, an experience that I think is possible in the same way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but I would be interested if in somebody who l moved themselves to a community that may or may not exist in which almost everything that supported their lives were made by some either themselves or somebody they knew yes and i i think and that would... actually is possible and that right. it does exist and i can even tell you the name of a community that does that have yeah. you ever heard of the bruderhof no they are so interesting and cool they're yeah. like um they are 
they're a communitarian group. So they, yep. it's a commune world, right? Yep. And they have these different farms all over the place. Uh, yep. and, and even, I think there's maybe even like urban versions of them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, like with any commune, there's some weird stuff. Um, but they, they actually <laughs> produce, they, they do a uh, journal called Plow Quarterly. Uh, okay, which yeah, is you, fantastic. It's such a good. That's where the you learned of the first book. Yes, Enchantments of Mammoth. Right. That's right. Yeah, from um, But they are like, I just read a really interesting article about a guy who was in academia. He was doing his PhD, had his first kid, discovered that academics often don't even understand the idea of familial, uh, like, commitments or familial mm -hmm. uh responsive i'm trying to, i'm it's it's the idea of why would you shackle yourself to that right mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. the way that academia often will like if you are a uh married woman mm -hmm. people will be like wait are you planning on getting pregnant they'll literally say that or think that or whatever i had people say things that was that were insane to me when i had mm -hmm. my like fourth kid in yeah. university they, they were like you have four kids what kind of psychopath are you yes right? but anyway so so this guy wrote this article about this and said i realized that this whole world was mm -hmm. totally like on a completely different path from what i thought was an actual convivial like direction right mm -hmm. academia's worldview is so so di directed in the wrong wrong way that i needed to leave and mm -hmm. I don't know if he ended up joining one of these Bruderhof communities. It sounds kind of like he might have, but th that whole idea of like saying, maybe one way is you just step right out. You step right. out of it, step out of the yep. stream. And when I, when I say that, I don't know that it's possible. I don't know that it's possible if you stay in this kind of dominant right. stream. Yes, yes. Right? Like I, now, I, I love the idea that you could maybe do it, but I don't know. Yep. So... I have this uh, idea about uh, the my own idea about the the purpose of consciousness, I guess, of living things first, and then maybe even more so of consciousness. And it's actually very much related to the capacity for commitment. Mm. So uh, any purely material object, uh, goes, you know, is headed in a particular direction and goes that way until it faces resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Resistance literally is the force that pushes it in a new direction. And so you have these, you know, material particles that are more stable in certain situations, less stable in other situations, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of deciding, they don't, they don't do that, right? They just go wherever the forces push them versus humans or even even trees different things like this but have the capacity to say to see something contributes value and then be able to push through when the value it produces is variable mm. right so a farmer plants its crops plants its crops plants its crops and then you know things go uh sideways with the weather there's a drought for several years can keep pushing through that without changing direction to get to that ongoing place of value. And so one of the ideas that then kind of comes to mind is, so there's this notion of utilitarian versus yep. 
uh, versus meaningful. And I think I mentioned that maybe at the beginning of the last episode and the, the utilitarian is the standing reserve, right? And the meaningful is the forest. And so at, on first hand, your approach to the forest is changed because for you, it is irreplaceable. It is essential. It is vital. Um, but then uh, it, it, through the, the habitual, the pushing, the work, uh, it no longer, like if you suddenly came to that wheelwright and said, oh, don't worry, I can get you a whole bunch more forests. He would be like, forget it. Forget right. it. You know, I, this is my forest. I want this forest. Right. And so this this way in which something that is utilitarian through effort, uh, commitment, practice, and work mm -hmm. becomes meaningful, mm -hmm. which is really interesting too, because you can you can get in a situation uh, where so at my workplace. Uh, we work very hard to get people to stop talking about mm -hmm. um, what, who's right. Two people are in an argument and to stop and then, and reflect on the, what's how let's, let's very specifically look at the experience of the patient and use that to identify what we should be doing. Right. And it's interesting because those people have been doing things a particular way. And that way of doing things has become meaningful for them. Right. And so you're trying to get them to back away from this intensely held position to try and identify what's really in their interest, right? So in that context, you really want people to be able to back down from these dogmatic positions right. in favor of something that's actually better. But the this what it what is kind of in my mind now is that while that's true in lots of situations there has to come a point where uh your dogmatically held position and that's a terrible word like i should replace that with the things you choose to do every day your rituals and habits um right are like those those have to be the source of meaning Right. Like that's right. That, those are our lives. Um, Do you know, I don't I don't think it was you who told me this. I think it was my brother in law uh, told me this story about um, this guy who uh, was going to it was I'm going to say Nepal or something like that. And uh, there were these farmers there um, who didn't know about scythes they used some other tool that was like kind of pre pre scythe and they'd never sort of learned about the scythe as a, yeah. as a tool for harvesting. Um, but, uh, and so he was introducing these, uh, this tool to these people to help them be able to improve their, uh, their, uh, you know, harvesting and their agricultural situation, that kind of thing. Uh, yep. And it was working really well, right? Because it was, something that wasn't so disruptive that it was like undermining everything else in their uh, community, right? It was a, it was a kind of a reasonable improvement that somehow still fit within the, the overall mode of the community. Mm -hmm. um, but he was 
struggling with these other organizations that would come in and be like, let me get you this chainsaw. I don't, well, I don't know. It's, it, yeah. it wasn't a chainsaw, but it was like the a tractor. It was a tractor. It was things yeah. like it was like stuff that suddenly yeah. is like, and now we're going to bring in the petroleum uh, infrastructure that we need to use and the all of these other things that were so radically disruptive to this way of life that it was like, and now it doesn't exist kind of thing. Like that's yeah. the outcome, right? Yeah, um, that's right. And I, I think that that some of what you're saying about like, like there's a way in which we can say, let's just get this thing get a, you know technology wow can transform your 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 world and it's like yeah it can that sounds like a threat right like yeah, it yeah. can transform your world yeah and it doesn't mean that there doesn't have there there can't be advancements or there can't be better ways of doing things or whatever but like the whole idea of what you're calling like meaningfulness yeah. in the sense of like uh, a a constitutive network of um stories and uh, ways of doing things and habits and uh, cultural practices and all this stuff. It's all knit carefully together through a, a temporal field, right? It's historical uh, development. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the problem with our technological situation now, I think, is that it just snips through all of that. It spreads it all to the four corners of the, the earth. And yeah. we lose so much in the, uh, in the, in the doing of it. Right. And it doesn't and pay now, attention to the fact that there's all sorts of like remnants of those previous ways of doing things that are now like looking for something to clomb onto. Right. Um, and uh, I guess one of the things that is, is like tricky about that though, right. Is that uh, what, what matters is that there is a, a web of, connectedness that functions right right and and so the the tractor bringing in that tractor just like destroys everything this very complex there's there's uh reciprocity and interconnections right just like in the same way we have no idea how to make a pencil right mm -hmm. there are very complex interconnections in our existing structures as well right mm -hmm. and they are um way more complicated than we realize mm -hmm. and so when you come in and disrupt those but the the interesting thing being also that those could change and that could be okay yeah. if there's a functioning web, right? Uh, but then there, there's, but so there's these. And, and clarity about the web and clarity about what is something that changes. Like, the, so this is the Amish, right? Like yes, the Amish yeah. there, and maybe you're going to get to them, right? Like they are so careful about how they introduce technology into their world, but it isn't, mm -hmm. they don't, it's not that they don't, have it like that's the the caricatures it's like yeah they just rock around in buggies and stuff like that they're yep. it's not that it's that they're just careful about we know what the web is that we exist yep. within and to introduce something new is always going to be upsetting that and we can find ways of introducing things that make sense and preserve yep. it and yep. ways that will just cut all the strands right and and so the, I guess, and so you mentioned before this idea of asking what ought to be preserved, right? Right. And and so what's what's challenging? I mean, the problem is I'm 
I'm very much in conflict with myself here, even at, at the same time, like, or there's, I don't, I'm not in conflict, but there's like lots of tensions where what, you know, the older generation always looks at the new generation and says, you're losing what matters, but they're growing up with a new functioning web, mm. right? And if that web works, right, that's just the future. And that's not bad. Um, and Although then, maybe that is a modern concept. I think that it, there it, has always been people who've said, um, you know, you guys are so old the way that you do things. There's probably always been that. Mm -hmm. Partly, though, up until, you know, in the Greco-Roman time, the kids that said that were like, oh, but oops, I shouldn't have said that because my dad has the rights to life and death over me. And I just said something that's going to get me killed. So maybe well, that was the maybe that's a positive change that's happened. I, well, I will I'll work to see if I can find it. But there is um, a reading that I was given when I was at university that was freaky how it's how modern it mm. sounded mm. as an older person talking about the new generation mm. and how they have no respect for their elders right and yeah et cetera, et cetera. yeah and um and i think the like the notion of adding the scythe right i mean so i i also think it's worth asking do you need to add it right right i but, think people were dying maybe which but but here's literally i think uh, rejecting technology means accepting more people die. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Right, that's true. So yeah, like, but I but think it goes back to that that I think, and even looking at these critics of technology, right? Mm -hmm. The critics of technology are not saying no technology. Right. That's that's the the caricature of them. They're saying yep. convivial technology. You know, yep. they're saying technology is it's and it's more than just a tool it's it's all around us right yes. but it's an it's an orientation to the world and yep. you can have different ways of approaching the world um and so, so i think you you could have you could be someone who's like no i'm a luddite i'm going to destroy mm -hmm. new technology mm -hmm. and you could be an ascetic that says i do not i refuse all things all these new opportunities for making my life easier yeah. and uh you know i i think those are both valid orientations to the world mm -hmm. um and maybe this is where we start talking about uh Yukway, uh we and, could, but, and the rest of I, the alan jacobs stuff but i just i just want to try to to clarify this idea this that just that uh often what is meaningful and this is like this is not to say there are I guess there are there are objective improvements one can make right and that's often related to less people die right those kinds of questions, but also a lot of the time, what is meaningful is based on your culture, your rituals, your habits, right, mm -hmm. and even the commitments you have the things you have worked for in your life. I even, I remember reading a paper about how, you know, the reason why uh, parents love their kids so much is because you put so much work into them. You, you've got to believe they're good, you know, this, <laughs> this, and, um, and I, I don't doubt there's some truth to that, mm -hmm. right. Just in that uh, at a certain point, if you're smart, you choose to value what you do with your life or else you're miserable. And so 
the idea that um, change is dangerous because it risks losing things, but it's very hard to see what change is good and bad uh, because it, it may be hard to differentiate between real loss and like loss the, to you in your current perspective or something that would be a loss even to a, a future generation. Does that make sense as an idea? I don't, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And it could just be that it's late. Um, okay. Unless okay. you listener are listening to this in the morning. Um, and, but I like, I think in some ways, and maybe this is a good place for me to ask the question that came up while I was listening to the first half of our podcast yesterday, which is like, I'm not sure that I'm clear on what meaning means when you I, so talk about it. When I'm talking about it, I'm talking about a feeling right. of something being worthwhile in and of itself. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, and so an because action. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't, does that mean that meaning, uh, doesn't that mean that meaning isn't an, doesn't have a uh, sort of inherent value? Meaning is only something that exists with regards to like your own subjective experience. That's right. But your own subjective experience is embedded in a real world, right? And so in the same way, right, that there are webs that work and webs that don't. Right. Right. There, it's not as though, right. Like if you say, uh, uh, I wish I had an example on hand, but if you, you know, if you choose to say, I'm going to find eating dog poop valuable, right? Like that's just not, um, it's not likely to produce a stable web of life and culture and community right. that can live I, on it. It right? did for the prophet Ezekiel. <laughs> I don't See, know if again, it was dog that, poop. It might've been the, like I'm pretty sure that community, I'm pretty sure that community like that. died with him, right? I mean, But it didn't, it didn't, because it continues to be a meaningful act. When he, when Ezekiel talks about God, and I mean, I don't, I don't know the context, so maybe I'll find the verse, but yes. he feels that he's directed by God to eat poo, right? Yeah. And it has this significance because it's embedded within a larger, it's uh, symbolic, sim symbolic matrix that goes beyond how he feels about it. He right. Feel but it, it exists prior to his feeling or not feeling about it. But this this it illustrates my point a little bit in that um, he is like the, you're painting that broader context that just makes it true that one action versus another will be meaningful or not, right? Or will move forward. Like, but isn't that where that, that's all? I think that's all meaningful acts, though. All meaningful acts are embedded within, and maybe this is what you're saying about the embeddedness. The like the meaningfulness, whatever it might be, is mm -hmm. not. I don't think that you can be ex doing something meaningful by yourself. Yeah, in a vacuum. I'm, like I think uh, there's like if you push me far enough, you know, I might uh, admit to being a. Uh, 
some sort of uh, like an optimistic nihilist, right? <laughs> so if so if if you're trying to like, mm, if you want to tell me that this thing matters no matter what, right? You know, then oh, like, but yeah, and I, I'm not saying that because I I think that's sort of like one of these brain games, right? That that isn't a thing. Like, the, but but it it is, and, and I think this is something you're kind of saying a little bit is there's an embeddedness meaning is embedded in community right like like someone who says i'm going to eat this dog poo or whatever mm -hmm. if they're not ezekiel mm -hmm. someone could still turn that into a meaningful act like oh my goodness this is the act of someone who is uh desperate a and suddenly you mm -hmm. you you start exploring the the narrative uh edges of an act that might be inherently from the perspective of that person Mm -hmm. meaningless right but the thing is is i think meaning is sort of floating around us all the time um, right so i guess i guess when i'm when specifically i am talking about a subjective experience and and i'm gonna say like that your experience of something is meaningful does not uh i guess if there's if there's an idea of some sort of like external meaning right like that's out there and what I'm going to suggest is that 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 has pressure, and on it shapes what is possible to experience as meaningful, right? So you can make a mistake, and do something, and then later and think you're doing something important and meaningful, and then later experience regret, and say no, I now see what's actually meaningful, but the and so uh, there are attention to your context and um, all those sorts of things are going to orient you towards the things that are uh, that are more sustainably meaningful. So I guess what I'm right. what I'm interested in is in uh, the the subjective experience of meaning that is sustainable, right that is uh, consistent with the world and the context around you. Yeah and maybe um, with the web that you are that you find yourself within right like yeah, the I, yeah um, I, totally totally and and so and then and this is funny because you i know you uh, saw this today but just like when i think about like what meaningful acts what acts are meaningful uh, i think one way of answering that question is does this act increase the likelihood of humans in the distant future surviving and traveling the universe long after all the stars have died right. and are able to uh, carry on life, you know, perhaps traveling on large biospheres and harvesting the Hawking radiation off of black holes to right. sustain the experience and appreciation of life in the universe, right? So. Yeah. Um, which is a and, way of framing meaning that is very like only exists in one set of web or in the technological web, right? Like, right. Oh, like oh. In, a, in a web that is, has certain assumptions about what, like that statement yep. has assumption, makes assumptions about what is good and what is, uh, you know, true and what is beautiful, right? Like right. that well, so, but, any so statement the, would make is kind of what I'm trying to say is that like you could 
I think it's a good, I like the statement because it, it encapsulates what it means to experience meaning. Um, right. In well, so, a place. I mean, but, it, but it's interesting that I think I'm trying to do something different with it. And the point being that um, ideas of what is meaningful are less likely to exist if they don't create a web that works, right, of reciprocity and connectedness and mutual support, right? right. And so the point of like this situation is almost certainly never what my sentence is never going to happen. Humans right. are very unlikely to ever be able to get that level of technology. But and if we got there, like the 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 degree to which altruism and morality and kindness and love would have to be totally ingrained because there's no room for fighting right. in that world it's, right? it's star trek it's star yeah trek it's star universe, trek right? but it's it, this world there's there's so little energy it's star trek where <laughs> they're everybody's a hundred percent impoverished yeah. there's almost nothing left but yeah. we still believe living and caring for life matters, right? right? And seeing, experiencing the universe. So I, I actually think there are some elements that are in this that are essential to any system of meaning. And it's, uh, and I totally get that it's, um, uh, nobody's going to buy that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's why, that's why I tell that, uh, that's why I put it out there is because I think, um, uh, uh, that's, I think meaningfulness community, uh, uh, has to, has to do with this idea of saying, uh, life is good and, um, and creating a web that supports that to move forward now. Um, so we're kind of like right to, we can, we could jump into Yakui and very significantly the, for me, the, uh, passage from that Taoist text, but yes. perhaps we want to leave that for the next episode. That that might be good. Cause I actually, yeah. I, I would like to read a little bit more from his, uh, question concerning technology in China. Yeah. Awesome. Um, as well. Me too. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I, so I think preview to next, next podcast is yeah. uh that we're going to start talking about um a hong kong berlin philosopher that alan jacobs uh introduced us to through his his essay um he's a, a guy named uh yuk Hui, i think is how you say his name um and uh he, he you can follow him on twitter he's he's got he's very active on twitter he's got lots of interesting stuff going on right now and uh he does a lot of really interesting stuff he's kind i think he is both a computer scientist and a philosopher mm. um oh, so cool. lots of really uh interesting synergies that he figures out and and that kind of thing right. um and uh so yeah we'll we'll hopefully have more to say about him about cosmotechnics about uh the dao um and uh and all the rest in the next episode uh anything you want to leave us with john well, no, just to say, you know, we're, I guess we're uh, a couple episodes back, but if you're back with us, uh, thanks for coming along. Yeah. And if you have any uh, comments or thoughts or what do you think about technology, you can email us uh, at subjectsinprocesspodcast at gmail.com. 
and right. I hope you have a good day. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.